I, I'm just Love so lucky. Talk Radio. Yeah. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Jane Nessler will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce. You better be watching over me, little sister, wherever you are. And we're going to have a great panel show today. We've got Jeff Bond, Derek McFadden, and R.G. Belsky or Dick Belsky. And good morning, everybody. I'm here. Good morning, Fran. Hey, hi, Fran. Hey, everybody. Hi, I'm glad you guys are here to to brighten my day and everybody else, even though it's going to rain again. <laughs> so this has been a really weird year for everybody, especially me and everybody in the whole world. That is true. Yeah. I, I think and that might be the understatement of the... Uh, <laughs> I know. It's like it's like everything. You never know what's going to happen. I could live without anything else happening. So this year started, and what positive and negative changes have you encountered, other than the fact that nobody says hello anymore, nobody smiles, and everybody's a nervous wreck? <laughs> well, I think the negative. Uh, I think the negative is pretty easy. You've just uh, you've just I mean, said a lot of it. I mean, we're quiet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's uh, the positive is we're all on Zoom. And the negative about Zoom is people need to know where their cameras are placed and wear pants if your camera you is go. low. Right. And and don't and don't have sex on uh, on camera either. You know, try, try not to have sex on camera. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, just attempt not to do that. Yeah. It. I, I will say this, and this is not about not about sex, but it is weird because I know when I first started uh, using Zoom, and like uh, obviously a lot of authors, we use it all the time now. Uh, I I like I had no idea. You know, I like went on checking it out, and I suddenly, you know, I was like, you know, unshaven, I was like, you know, half dressed, you know, and I, I, like I said, I didn't realize that somebody was looking, and I suddenly realized, I said, can you see me? And they're like, uh, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, oh, uh-oh, because yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's hard to, it, it, now it makes, it seems simple, but when it starts out, it's the, the technology there, wow, people are like looking at me in my living room. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And you can well, see yeah, we have family lives. Zoom every yeah. month too, my family, and I try to hide behind the camera. We, we, once a month, my we have my father's side gets together on Zoom because my cousin's in an assisted living, so unfortunately he's stuck there. So we we cheer each other up, but I try to put you know hair and makeup and mask on so nobody sees me. So yeah, I I, I think yeah. the, the, one of the biggest losers in, in all these yeah. Zoom calls is family pets. I know I I have nine and eleven year old girls, and they have to do Zoom calls for school, or at least they did when they yeah, were yeah. when they were all virtual. And uh, the first half of all those school Zoom meetings is always all the kids dragging their cats and dogs in front of the the camera. <laughs> I think when the kids go back to school, I think the family pets can all breathe a sigh of relief and go find their cozy corners to retire to. <laughs> 
And, and the yeah, other thing about yeah. Zoom is that you have to go out of your way to kind of make the background look like you're cool. So, you know, people will have <laughs> yeah. like, like their books, you know, like like books they probably have never read there and stuff. And because uh, you don't mm-hmm. want to have like, yeah, your laundry hanging back there or something. So everybody, everybody tries to look like they're in a very cool spot. I know I do. So. <laughs> I yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. Well, my house, you can see my bookcase with all the books there. But if you look at my chair, you'd feel sorry for me. Because I have 25 books on my chair that are staring at me. And, and I'm, like I said before, I'm helping my niece uh, through college. I'm taking, we're taking art appreciation and English literature this week. And I'm acing all my term papers to help her write them, but it's part of, you know, they have to be perfect. What can I say? Anyway. Well, you know, when you, when you, you know, I, I use this, I, when you talk about Zoom, I, I always have an example yeah. for myself that um, from the very, uh, when it first started last year, a year ago, I had a book, uh, yeah. as you know, friend, that came out in May, and I normally have a book party here in New York City at the Mysterious Bookstore, and, you know, I'm able to draw a pretty good crowd, maybe if you get 60, 65 people to a book party, that's like a very successful book party, uh, and we couldn't do it, so we decided uh, to have a virtual party, and we did, mm-hmm. and I think I got something like, 350 people online, which sounds wow. great. You're like, wow, this is like, you know, but it, yeah, that's the good part. But the bad part is like, it's just not the same because when you have a book party, you have right. people standing in line, you sign their books, you know they bought the books. I honestly, you know, have no idea how many of those people that were online bought the book. Did they buy the book from that store? Did they go on Amazon? Mm. Did they not even bother? You know, um, it, it's just a whole different world. And, you know, there's, there's some good things about it, but, but you know, like most people, I, I think the bad far outweigh the good. Mm. It's the personal interaction that you're missing, though. Yeah. Like, you just yeah. missed that. Yeah. Well, you miss it in general, seriously. I mean, I like doing this because I get to talk to authors and stuff. And yesterday, my phone rang, my cell phone rang at 10 o'clock, and I, my cousin, who I haven't spoken to and I don't remember how long, called me at 10 o'clock at night to FaceTime me. Without makeup and you know hair and glasses, <laughs> I was like, "Holy God!" I got really upset, and I go like, "What happened?" She said that she was in. She's in a book club, so if anybody wants a book club, she's got a book club, and um, she read Alan Zendransky's Interpreter, Interpreter, and he asked for more people. He didn't realize that this is my cousin, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. why she, she called me to tell me that I did a wonderful job with his show. So I felt better. At least I didn't mess up. So, and, and you guys are going to get, especially you and Charles, Dick, are getting me in so much trouble because every time you put down that a book is great, I'm constantly saying I have to read it. <laughs> so, so Brian Silverman got his review this morning from Freedom Drop. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, Brian, is, I, have to, I have to read. I have. To, I, I really want to read that. I've, I've met Brian at a few uh, events. His uh, this is you know sort of irrelevant, but if you're a sports fan, Brian's father was Al Silverman, who was the longtime editor of Sport Magazine, which I read like a Bible when I was oh, nice. growing up. And so when I finally met him and found out that was his father, I was like you know asking him a million sports stories about Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle and everything. He's a really interesting guy, and uh, I, I, lo- I actually look forward to reading. I know uh, Charles has read that book. I have. Read it yet. It's good, and I also interviewed. I got another tro- got in trouble again with um, David Rich Miracle uh, Miracle Palace. Mm-hmm. That was my actually, actually my husband doesn't read anything that I write. I read, but he's reading. He read Brian Freeman's book uh, Infinite, and now he's reading that one. 
because it's um, it's thrilling. It's about Richard Burton. It's excellent. So my next question wow. is this: as an educator, and people that have kids or nephews or whatever, children have to deal with reading digital copies of books and textbooks. Because my niece, like I said, I'm helping her, but she's online. The colleges are online. How does online learning impact their learning? I mean, my nephews have been going to school all along, except when one of the teachers got COVID, or they have to quarantine because their friend got COVID. So which which do you think is better, to learn online and be safe? And yet I, I gather from my niece the professors are not doing very much. They just give the assignment, read it, and say, have a nice day. I don't think they're teaching anything with the colleges. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, so I've got the 9- and 11-year-old girls, so it's definitely a question that's sort of near and dear to to my heart. I mean, I think you've got to distinguish between, you know, like the digital reading and then the learning, which I think are, are kind of different questions. I mean, I think on the on the pure reading side, I mean, for my girls, I feel like the digital reading is probably more good than, than bad. I mean, I think that it makes them active consumers of books. I mean, they read something they like, they go to a related title, you know, Amazon will show them things. You know, they kind of start to learn that sometimes Amazon has a good idea for what you should read next, and sometimes their idea is not so good. Um, you know, the device is portable. It's more convenient for them than a physical book. It, it can be better for their eyes, you know, if you've got a Kindle that has a auto brightness kind of a thing. You know, my, my kids never turn on a light when they walk around with a physical book, so I always worry about them straining their eyes. But but I think to your point about the the virtual learning, I mean, I think yeah. that that's kind of a, a whole different thing. I mean, I think, you know, because I had one that was in fifth grade and one that was in third grade, and I think from about third grade under, I think the virtual school is pretty close to worthless. And I mean, I, I, I and I say that, you know, with full understanding and appreciation and and gratitude for all the teachers who who do so much and who work so hard to make it a good experience. But, you know, I think, like, little kids just really need that face-to-face aspect. I, I yeah. think their mental world is just not yeah. quite developed sense. enough yeah. to sustain yeah. a lesson without that, you know, all the sort of physical cues that you get, you know, face-to-face and stuff like that. Now, luckily, here in Michigan, my kids have been back for for several months, but yeah, I mean, I think if I had a high school or a college age kid, yeah, I mean, I would be asking those same questions and and eager to kind of get them back having a better experience. But um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely tough, and as it's obviously with the safety question, it's it's a hard question for everybody. Yeah, yeah I know. My, my brother decided that my nephew couldn't go back to school. He's on a baseball scholarship at Muhlenberg. And when Jake called me, he said, my father said that I can't go back to school. I said, why can't you just take, like, two classes online? And it seems that the colleges are charging the same thing for the tuition with room and board than they are if the children are taking the classes at home, and it's like $50,000. So I said, you should really take a class, yeah, or more. I said, you're on a baseball scholarship, so it's not as much. But my brother said, no. I said, why don't you just take of course, you're going for business or journalism or whatever, because he's really good. I said, why don't you take a class at the community college that's down the block, and you could do that online. And my brother wouldn't let him do that either. So he's working in a, in, in a, he had COVID for two weeks, three weeks, my nephew. Yeah. 
So what can I say? I don't have kids in school, so I can't really talk about that. But just, you know, listening to hear you talk about the, the thing yeah. with virtual classrooms, um, I mean, to me, I, I think this, the same thing is true of, of the workplace in general. Um, and I fear, one of the things I fear is like a lot of people are saying, well, you know, we realize we don't have to go to work. Uh, we can work from home and all that kind of stuff. And to me, yeah. I, I, I just, I think that's a big problem. Um, I, I spent my life, you know, in a, in a, news, in a newsrooms, uh, media newsrooms running them. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the great things you get the most out of is the interplay with people. You walk into the office, you yell at somebody, they yell at you, you know, you tell them what you want, they mm-hmm. throw something at you. You know, all that, uh, to me, having people work at home is never going to be the same. But I fear, you know, that, you know, a lot of people have been working at home now for a year, and there does seem to be this this theory now that, well, why not? You know, now working at home is fine if you're an author, but to me, if you're running a business or, in my case, a, a, a newspaper, uh, I just – I. I just think you lose a lot in the same way that a, that a student loses a lot by not being in, in the classroom. Yeah, I, 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 I'd, say for me, I'd say for me it's a bit of an evening of the playing field because I am handicapped. So oh. if everybody has to be on Zoom, then it's fine. I, I don't have to drive anywhere. I don't have to be anywhere specific. I can just be in front of my computer. And if you didn't know me, you wouldn't know that I am handicapped. And right. so – in that way, it's a bit of an evening situation, and it, it's it's fairer, but also, I mean, it still sucks because we're still in this place where we all have to wait to get vaccines and all of that. So, I don't know. I'm happy about it in certain ways, and I feel weird being happy about it in certain ways because um, it, people have died, and that's not great. <laughs> So. Yeah, I know. It's it's, and I don't think there's going to be an end anytime soon. They could say whatever they want, but there's no end to this. And this is going well, to be. I, I can see by Christmas. Oh, I hope soon. I, by I hope soon because be I can't take it anymore. Different place. <laughs> I, I don't know. The, you know, you, you know we all have we, we all have little and, and there's all the little things you know people will say like you can't do and for yeah. me. Um, I mean, there's so many big things that we, you know, that are the problem, but it sometimes it's the little yeah. things. And every once in a while, I will think to myself, God, I would love to go to a movie theater again. You know, I would love yeah. to sit in the movie theater and eat popcorn and watch a movie. And I don't know when, you know, when I will ever be comfortable doing that. You know, even with a vaccine, it's going to take a while because, you know, you're you're packed in a theater with a bunch of people indoors for two hours. Uh, but it's stuff yeah, like when... that you miss, the little things in life that you never really thought about, um, and you can't really do them now. Well, I won't well, go into a restaurant either. Theater. I'm afraid. And and they I, go I, I get theater. my pea soup on yeah you get food on Tuesday and they bring it out to me I'm afraid to go in anywhere. And if you go to a theater are you, are you just going to wear a mask and then are you going to eat popcorn yeah. I mean how are you going to yes. eat popcorn through a mask? Well and 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 you know sporting events the same way you know I mean uh, yeah. yes you could go to a Yankees game here and it could be 25 Chris and Kavisi, but I mean that's not the same as going to a ball game getting your hot dog sitting you know, with crowds of people cheering the team, mm. uh, it's just it's it's almost not worth doing because the experience it will not be the real experience. And it's so different. you're taking a, yeah. yeah, and you're taking a and you're and you are taking a risk. I mean, I think a lot of people, and I'm one of them, uh, you know, uh, operate on you know the theory that 
I try not to do things that I don't have to do. You know, I do some things. I right. I, I don't eat indoors at restaurants. I do eat outdoors. I do take takeout. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't take mass transit. I probably could, but I choose not to. No, you know, I, don't and I think either. I think a lot of people just feel like 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 yes. Uh, I could go to a baseball game this year, but I don't think I will because why Why take that chance? Well, I'm noticing that people that have had the vaccine, both of them, and they tell you to quarantine for two weeks, which works to a point, we all know that, um, that they're going into, they're having, you know, families coming back together again. And I wonder about that. My cousin just drove yeah. up from Florida or flew up from Florida, and she hasn't seen her children in two years. She came up for their birthday and she just had the second, I think it was the same one I had, the Moderna, uh, two weeks ago. And I'm afraid to do that. My niece called me from Florida about two months ago, and she said, this is before the vaccine, she says, I'm in New York, I want to see you. I said, I'm afraid you can't because you just had the virus, and I really don't want it. Right. Yeah. Well, and she still, they don't get it. They don't get the point. She still doesn't wear a mask, and I worry because her whole family had it. They just didn't tell me. They didn't want me to know. What? Well, you know, Fran, you and I have talked about this offline. I, I had the, I recently had the, the single, the Johnson and Johnson, and I'm coming up close to the end of those two weeks. But you know, I, I don't think my, uh, my behavior is going to change a lot. I'm still going to be careful with everything, even yeah, with the vaccine. I, I think the, the biggest thing is to see, you know, the overall numbers because, like, hopefully by summer, if enough people get vaccinated and the numbers go way down, then you know we'll all feel more safe going to the beach. That's another thing I miss going to the beach because i went to the beach last year and everybody's walking around the beach wearing masks that's not that's not very relaxing but um yeah i just think i think uh i think even with the vaccine uh you, you have to you have to sort of see how, how prevalent the, yeah. the, the the virus still is yeah. and, I, and i think i mean one of the things that's going to be hard you know even you know if you look getting past things is that i do think like this kind of dichotomy between people who have different risk profiles mm-hmm. you know it, mm-hmm. it, those conversations become hard i mean say friend you know you have relatives or friends that that have different ideas about it or you know and everybody has a different circumstance right i mean i think if you have small kids yeah. and you feel like it's really important to socialize with them or you know i mean i've had to stay in hotels a couple times because i have young girls that have you know, a gymnastics meet, right? I mean, if I was in a different situation, you know, a different stage of life, you know, I would probably mm-hmm. be able to make different risk choices, you know. And right. so, and I think that different way that people come at it is, as you said, even post-vaccine is probably not going to go away in the short term. And so a lot yeah. of these interpersonal things that we have to to manage, you know, uh, among people with different risk profiles and also just, you know, different kind of circumstances in life. I mean, if you're a blue-collar worker, of course, you don't have the same um, the same range of choices available to you. So I think, you know, these, these sort of messy situations are going to, as you say, kind of stick around for a while. I, just we, I won't even long. go into the elevator with somebody in this building. There's a sign that says you have, can only go in with the person that you live with, and everybody else has to wait. Mm. And oh. there could be 10 people standing outside the elevator, and I tell them, you have to wait. And I feel bad because I feel like I'm being rude, but they're not. And then there are some people that no. will say to me, you can come in with me. I go, no, that's okay. I'll wait. I mean, right. even when I go down to get the mail and search for my books that sometimes disappear, um, I, I, I stand <laughs> away from people. I felt so bad. One of the authors who I have to write a review for in, in May, the book was was on a table for three months. It was on the wrong table, and they Name was, like, blurted out, so I found it yesterday. People take my books. So if I tell you I don't get it, it's because 
they know I get them, <laughs> and they and want them. People in your building which, take your books and read them. Yeah, oh, wow. I, they they do. As a matter of fact, um, <laughs> one one of the authors said he sent the book in the December. It was delivered December twentieth. I said I don't know what to what state, but I wound up ordering the books. I felt bad because I have to interview him in two weeks. So I'm going like I can't do that. It's not right. And then there are people yeah. that send me books. Like yesterday, I got two, and I go, huh. And then I feel bad because I'm behind because of this homework stuff. And then I got um, a book from an author that I didn't know I was getting, and her friend wrote it, and I felt really bad. I feel really bad. The author of the book is very sick. They don't know. She has, she can't promote it. So now, and it's one of those books that it's a self. It's about a memoir about her son being very sick. So I said, you know what? As soon as I feel all right, I'm going to read it and just do it just to make her feel better. That's just me. Some backed up people. So speaking of publishing, the other thing is that I find is difficult. I won't read anything that's from, that's print because my eyes am, can't handle it. So how can um, w- w- how do we get book deals for news for a series? How do you keep yourself in the public eye besides Zoom? Because you guys are out there and I'm somewhere, and my new book is coming out. I think in May or June. I hope. Who knows? And it's called Population the, Zero, um, the World Without People. I think that you, I think if you, it, I think you have to have Amazon and Goodreads, and Goodreads yeah. is, is 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 the thing right now, because okay. um, that's where readers are. Readers are on Goodreads, and if you have a book, you should set up a giveaway on Goodreads because every time somebody enters that giveaway, it shows up on their page. And it shows up for their friends, and all their friends could enter it. I, 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 yeah. I mean, I just finished a giveaway, where, and I had 1,500 people enter. Oh, and wow. I don't have 1,500 friends. So, so, like, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, so how did you give away? Did you give away I, paper, I, digital, or, or paper? Which one did you give away? I wouldn't even know what to I gave away the that. hardcover. Yeah. And I, okay. I gave away the hardcover, and I, and I, and, and I had an autograph, too. I think it's yeah. important to autograph it. And, and, and one other thing, mm-hmm. and they recommend this, um, when you send, because I've done this a number of times with my books, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, uh, th- there's a lot going for it, and including the idea that, yeah, you get 1,500 or 2,000 people apply for, like, whatever, wow. five, ten books, whatever you put out. And yeah. all these people exactly. then become aware of your book. And uh, so, so it's, it's, like, it's like free, free publicity. Um, but the other thing, um, and, and like you, I, I sign the, you know, I send out the hard copy and I sign the book. Um, but I also always include a note which says um, to the person, which says if, if um, you, when you're finished with this, I, I would love if you would put up a uh, review on Goodreads and, uh, oh, yeah, uh, you know, to, to tell what you people do. And I'd read somewhere that, uh, that uh, you know, that that was a good idea. And I, I don't know exactly the numbers, but supposedly there's like a percentage, like, I don't know, maybe 50% or whatever, of people who get a note like that who will actually post the review. So, you know, in addition to getting your name out there, you get reviews. And of course, we all know those are really important to get reader reviews, too. So it's a, the only bad thing about Goodreads, and I, I don't know how, how, how far back you go with it, um, but... Uh, it used to be free, and uh, so the only thing you were – it was a free giveaway, and the only thing you were doing was paying for the books. Uh, but now it mm. uh, costs money. Uh, I think it was like – I think the basic one is like 119 or something. But oh, yeah, it's still a good idea. It's still a good – I mean, it's still a good – it's a very good promotion uh, 
promotion. Well, I've got yeah, this, this, I've options. got um, Karen Vaughn and her team promote book my books every day on Facebook, Twitter, and a whole bunch of other states. Places. Yeah. Um, Facebook and Twitter are, never, are, are fine, but Goodreads is the yeah, best. I mean, LinkedIn, they really need oh, they, They've mean, been promoting my books for the last couple of weeks, months. I paid them yeah. $110 to do it for the year. And they, they've been promoting it. There are people that are buying it, people that are not. I really can't tell. Um, basically, my problem is when I get a royalty check, I don't think I'm getting the full amount from certain publishers. Mm-hmm. That's what bothers mm-hmm. me. Is that I had um, people bought like the first book. Um, my first, my sisters, two sisters from the South Bronx that came out in July. I I sold about three hundred books and I got forty seven dollars. It just doesn't seem right. Seems low, yeah. Has anybody used Facebook? Because uh, I've done this in the past too, and I'm never sure how effective it is. But use the Facebook uh, advertising. When I and when I say the Facebook advertising, uh, what I'm talking about is where you you know you boost uh, you boost something, and I did. Uh, uh, and then and basically you can go two ways. Either they send it to not only your friends, which you don't really need because they see it anyway, but yeah. all the friends of your friends. And then there's also one where you can. Uh, you can pick a, a an area, you know, like mystery, you know, fans of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Michael Conley, whatever. Uh, it, it's like easy Target. to do, and I've done it a few times. I just, I'm not 100 percent sure how effective it is, but yeah, I, I've I've done quite a bit with Facebook ads, and I have some that, that go regularly. Um, and I think I, I've done the the targeting side of it, which can be really effective, you know, because you can, you know, with Facebook, you can say, give me. Um, you know, single out just people who like like Lee Child, for example, right? I mean, right, I have, right. One of my mm-hmm. books has a Dear Derwood has kind of a sort of a, a West Virginia kind of guy who's who's you know got kind of a Jack Reacher type of a tale. And I had a a professional viewer say he was a literary version of Jack Reacher. So I've got that kind of pull quote on a Facebook ad, right. and so I can run a Facebook ad and target it to not just you know people who are enthusiastic about Jack Reacher and Lee Child, but I can say you know, I want to further narrow that by people that have shown that they like ebooks and buy ebooks, right? So Facebook will let you really kind of cut that pie, you know, get a really thin slice and really just send it to, you know, people who, you know, not only like the kind of book that you're trying to sell them, but also have shown that they buy, you know, that they buy ebooks. And so that book actually, I mean, I can target that and I can see that if I run, you know, a certain number of ads, I'm going to get a certain number of conversions, you know, but most of my other books don't really have like such a natural um, narrowing of the audience, you know, I mean, they're they're sort of, you know, more sort of thoughtful literary thrillers maybe, or, or just an action adventure title where there's not, you know, like one kind of keyword that, you know, a Facebook user would see and say, oh yeah, I'm going to click, I'm going to go get that, right? And right. so I, I still run ads for those, and I try to target them by, you know, again, ebook readers or, you know, a couple different parameters. But I think it's hard to get the kind of really tight conversion on those. So, I, you know, I think Facebook ads, you know, you can definitely, I mean, you can spend as much as you want to spend, and you'll see that those numbers reflected in your sales. But to really, like, turn a profit on those ads, I think it's it's helpful if you have a book that, you know, you can just based on the kind of book and the, the way that Facebook will let you target. If you can get really fine with that, then you can really kind of make it work. But it depends a little bit on how well. Like if I was, if I had a literary fiction title, I think that would be a real tough one to kind of turn a profit on. Yeah, that's kind of where I am, and 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 it, so I'm not really a genre person. So I feel that 
I'm not sure that those ads would work for me necessarily, even mm-hmm. though they're, they're they're a good idea. Um, what about I've, um, I've done I do this also. What about blog really toys? What about blog toys? Blog oh, toys. Oh, that's a great. Those are great. Can work. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Fran, you know this, and uh, uh, Cheryl may actually be listening because she, I know, listens to your show a lot. But uh, uh, yeah. uh, Cheryl Mash and uh, Partners in Crime is is the one I've used. I've used them for my last few books. I'm using them again this year, and and that's that that's a great um, great return for not spending yeah. a lot of money because for a few hundred dollars you basically for you can do it for as long as you want but say you do it for a month uh you you can get you know 25 or so hits every day you know mo- almost every day you'll mm-hmm. be on somebody's blog and it'll be a combination of maybe just being featured or being uh reviewed or being or, or interview with you or you know you write it you write a little blog post um and uh i i i, I that was recommended to me a few years ago and i use it for every book because again it doesn't cost that much and uh you're getting a lot of play it's, it, you, you, in a, yeah. on a lot of sites yeah, I you're right. Of, and how many books are sitting on my chair from Cheryl? What can I say? Yeah. And I would say one, 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 and one other thing about, at least with that, that's the only blog. I know there are other blog tours, and some of them might be quite good, but with Partners in Crime, the other thing that they do is even after the um, – the month yeah. blog tour is over. They continue to promote your book. So every time you know you get a good review or something, and you t- you tweet it or whatever, they will retweet it, and they will you know they will make some comment about oh this is a great book you know. Um, so it's uh, it's really it, it's really helpful to get someone like that on your side. And again, uh, well I don't want to quote her prices for her, but it's it's really re- it's yeah, very very reasonable. Yeah, well, I all I know is that every time I post a review from them, like last night. Thank God I remembered to do that yesterday. About five minutes later, Cheryl said, you keep doing this to me, now I'm going to have to read it. I know. I know. I know, especially <laughs> yours or John Land or any one of yours. I didn't read that. I said, well, I don't know what your problem is, but I read it. I mean, yeah. And this week, like I said, I'm backed up. My chair looks at me, is looking at me like, why haven't you read all of these? And, you know, the one thing I want, don't, please don't send me self-help people. I don't, I don't want self-help. I, 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 and then there were certain, you know, other types that I want me too. So the other thing is this. Characters at the heart of novels. Are you creating storylines that mirror the pandemic? Or are you going to stick with what you usually do and not deal with COVID? Because I've been getting an awful lot of books with about the pandemic, and sometimes I just put them aside because I don't want to read it. It's not that they're not good. I just don't want to read it. So are you changing your style of writing, or are you going to continue with how you've been doing it to make me happy? (laughs) Yeah, I I, I definitely am not. I mean, I I definitely take the approach of trying to just imagine my stories without COVID and and, um, just kind of write the stories that I had in mind to write before. I mean, I I did it. There was a point in the pandemic over the summer where I I had kind of a plot idea or a premise that I liked that I thought would kind of explore some of these issues of, you know, people trusting science and, um, you know, have different people from different walks of life viewed the pandemic. And I spent a little bit of time kind of working it up and outlining it. And I got to a point, I looked at it and I said, you know, I, things are just changing so fast. It's so kind of wrong in everybody's face. I mean, I, I just don't think it's a good idea to go ahead with this. And I kind of set it aside and, you know, maybe at some point down the road, I would, I would, I would take it out of the drawer, but I, I definitely feel like, if you did something like that, if you tried to write a pandemic-focused 
plot line. At least I feel like for me, I would finish it, and then by the time I was done, I would look back, and things would have changed on the ground, and yeah. we would all have yeah. different ideas Thanks. about it. And I just, I just think there's a high uh, potential for a train wreck there. So I, yeah, for me, I feel mm-hmm. like you know you'd have to have some distance, or I would feel like I needed some distance before I could write intelligently, or sort of plot intelligently, or find the right characters for it. So for me, it's a, it's a hard no. <laughs> yeah, and and, and I, I, I would right say now, the same. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just say I would say the same. Oh. Everything uh, you just said, but for two reasons. Uh, one of which, which is uh, Fran's reason, which is I don't. I think the majority of people, including myself, they they look at fiction as an escape, and uh, and yeah. uh, they want to read about. And I feel the same way. I don't want to read about the pandemic in fiction. I really want to read about my detectives being like Philip Marlowe or somebody and doing, you know, I mean, I, I, I want it to be an escape. But I think the other thing that, uh, that was just mentioned is, the, is, the, is an even bigger problem, which is how, how do you, you know, it takes, a, what, a year for a book to come up, maybe a year and a half from the time you started. Uh, how, do you, yeah. how do you write about it? Because, uh, you know, if, if we had started yeah. writing a book about the pandemic last March, no one would have predicted what it would be like today. No one thought it would go on like this and vaccines and everything. And I, I, I think you wind up with a book that's incredibly dated and uh, – uh, I just I just couldn't imagine writing about it in in for for either of those reasons. No. I think that right now it doesn't make sense to write about it. I think that uh, and in genre fiction it doesn't make sense to write about it. Just write your stuff. Yeah. Write the things that you know how to write. I think that in literary fiction you will see people write about it, but you will see it happen ten years from now, yeah. ten or fifteen years from now. They might go back to this period um, when a sizable amount of people who are there to read won't have lived through it. I think that's the time to bring it back. I think until right. then it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because we're living through it now. And Yeah, it bothers me because my niece is two and a half, and I haven't seen her in a year and a half more, and she's living through this. She goes to school, but she doesn't have to wear a mask, and she's a star of the nursery class. And I worry because, like, she, you know, they don't get to know you. They don't get to live life the right way. I walk into um, the Rite Aid or I walk into the bakery, and these little kids are wearing masks, and then they'll kid around and they'll go, though, that makes us cute. Maybe I'll get one like that too. And I feel bad for them because mm-hmm. they're not, you know, living life the way it should be. And, you know, you walk in the street and nobody says hello. It's just so sad. that. And when I get a book like that about, you know, the vir- about a virus or an epidemic, I'm like, it's not that it's not good. I just like... Give me a break. I, I'd rather read something that's yeah. going to make me laugh. Right. And there aren't any of the books that. that are making me totally. laugh lately. Well, uh, Fran, I have a specific, just one specific uh, quick exchange on that with a publisher. Um, I'm, I'm doing yeah. a, a, a book that comes out this summer uh, under the Dana Perry. I know you've read some of the Dana Perry books. I'm ready and, for uh, that. This is a book. This this one is actually set in Martha's Vineyard, which you know off Cape Cod, which uh, and it and it, you know it takes place in the summer. And the publisher, um, when I started writing it, you know, sent me a note saying, uh, or the editor sent me a note saying, um, well, you know that there, there's it, it's still hard to believe there'll be normal tourist trade this summer. Or how are you going to deal with that in the story? And you know, like with you know, as if I needed to deal with the virus. 
And I said, yeah. no, I'm, I'm writing this without a time element. I'm not saying it's this year. I'm not saying it's any. I'm just saying it's Martha's Vineyard. And they went, oh, yeah, yeah okay, that's better. You know? mm-hmm. And, again, to me, that's, that's the kind of book that, that I, I'm only comfortable writing. Uh, if I have to be vague on when it's taking place, that's fine. Uh, but um, I, I'm not going to get into the, uh, into the specifics. My problem is also editors. You just said the magic word. My new yeah. book is called, I shouldn't have written it, this one. This is really going to get you. Population Zero, A World Without People. That's the title. Okay. Well, they change it to stories about the world's end. And basically I created worlds that, have, that are really sad. You know, one without sun, one that's just ice, one that's just mist. And I invited a dead person to come back to experience it, figuring that people will understand that we should live happily in, as in harmony in the one that we're in. Maybe it'll teach people a lesson. I don't know. But my editor, my copy editor, all she did was just highlight like maybe five or six things in the thing. She said, well, just necessary, delete that, delete that. They didn't give me any content or any kind of thing that um, tells me, should I change this? Is this strong enough? Is that strong enough? And they just said it's fine the way it is, but that doesn't mean anything. So how do you, I mean, I'm, this atmosphere press picked me up to do this one, and they're okay. It's just that, I, you know, when you have an editor, a copy editor, a content editor, you want them to tell you the last part doesn't make sense or this makes doesn't make sense. And I created a world at the end with, where at the end where artificial intelligence take over the world, and that's all I'm going to say about that. So, you know, how, how do you get how do you get some kind of feedback on it? Without having everybody well, read it and tell me what I did wrong. Actually, I, Vincent Gendry said it was good, and Lee Goldberg gave me are some. Lee Matthew Goldberg gave me some. But what do you do, seriously? Are you asking whether? Are you asking how do you get feedback before, like beforehand? Yeah, before um, before the before somebody reviews yeah. the book and okay. says, "What did well, you write?" I think are you I, before it's out is what you're asking. I, I think the the key there is you have to get somebody who's willing to tell you when something yeah. is, sucks, when something is bad. Um, and if people aren't willing to tell you that, then then you might not be talking to the right people. Yeah. Well, that's um, it. Um, Lee Goldberg, Lee Matthew, Lee, the one that wrote The Ancestors, Lee gave me some ideas. He said the book was good, but he told me what to do to make it better. So I did what he right. said. Yes. I didn't tell the, the editor yeah, well, that. Yeah, that's why I was asking. That. I mean, that's why I was asking if you wanted – uh, if you wanted to talk about um, if, it, if it was before the book came out, because before the I book do. comes out, yeah, you have all the leeway to make all the changes you you can make, but That's you have to have the people who are willing to tell you when the changes need to be made. And if people and aren't willing to tell you that, do that, I said that to the editor, well, and I said that to yeah. the publisher, and I said before I'm going to email him afterwards anyway to get my brain back in order, and say please let me you know give me a copy of the book you know. And um, without the uh, errors or, or grammar errors or whatever, so I can give it to people to tell me what they think. And what See, bothers on, me is that I don't okay. want to get I don't want to get a review and say you have 14 grammar errors when they're get, um, you know you're paying them to to fix it. I shouldn't have to do that. Right. Well, let, let me just jump in on that, friend, because this is something I feel sort of strongly about with my own work, and and I you know different people okay. do it different way. They have beta readers, and all, a lot of people read it. Um, I think it's really important that in the end, 
the book is your book, that it is what you want yeah. to write and you feel yeah. and you feel good about it because you could show it to – and again, this uh, somebody made the reference, I think, to the right kind of people because it's like you could show it to ten people and they could all come in with comments. But, yeah. you know, wh- why are their comments more important than the book you want to write? They, they could all be wrong, you know. Um, I, 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 I find that I generally will show my book to a couple people whose opinion I really, really care about. Let me be my agent, an editor, people like that. And when they tell yeah. me something, um, then, then you know, I, I generally look at it. But just – and this is me, and uh, you know, everybody does it their own, but just showing it to all your friends and then having them comment. Unless your friends are writing books, uh, I, I don't, I don't know you can listen to them, but in the end, you should write – I think you should write the book that you feel strongly about. Yeah, I, I completely yeah, I, agree with that. I, agree. I, I, I mean, just just sort of to give a, a, a broad perspective, because I, I kind of have the opposite process, although I, I completely agree with those tenets. I try to show, I mean, I do three or four rounds of beta readers. I try to show it to a lot of people. I, I, I try mm-hmm. to find people on kind of contract sites that do a lot of beta reading, you know, so they're kind of used to picking apart your plot and, and your characterizations and stuff. And I always, in fact, try to explicitly find a couple of people that seem based on their demographic that they may hate my book. You know, I actually <laughs> kind of like that. And, and I know that I'll get a lot of comments that I will not take to heart and that I won't, I won't do anything about. But I kind of, I mean, for me, and again, as you say, like everybody's different, but I, I kind of like to know if I get a couple of these people who I know are just not my readers um, to read it, they may tell me the way in which they don't like it, you know, um, and it may give me a hint about how I'll get, a, you know, a, a couple of negative reviews will come in on Amazon and I'll kind of, if I can see the way in which other people may not like it, you know, there, sometimes there are a couple things I can do around around the edges, a little bit of shaving here and there to kind of take the edge off for certain readers that might have a certain reaction to certain characters or, 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 or you know, pace and plot points and stuff like that. So I, I completely agree that it's got to be your book, you know, and I think to send it out broadly, like you have to really have a thick skin and you have to know that, you know, you're going to have some people that are going to send it back and, and not love things and you've got to just kind of hunker down and for those two hours instead of fuming, you know, you've got you've to have perspective and come back at it another day and say, well, I'm going to keep, you know, this 5% of the feedback and sort of let the rest of what? it go. I yeah. I agree with you, except I'm I'm in the position just the opposite. I won't say who. Somebody just sent me a brand new book. It's in a box over here. I haven't gotten it yet. And the person wants me to tell them what that what I think of it. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard it's a hard point because I'm honest. And a couple of times I did tell somebody that the plot didn't make sense or that you you uh, went back and forth too many times and they stopped talking to me. And I wasn't being yeah. nasty. I was being yeah. honest. And the book never got anywhere. Now, this person is a friend, and the person writes a different kind of genre than I do, and all I'm going to say is that, you know, the book is good, or maybe you want to change this, but I'm not going you know, I don't want to be too critical because, you know, that's not my thing. As far as doing a review, yeah, I could do whatever I want, but if I'm telling somebody about their book, that's, just, that's the same reason why I won't write a negative review. Right. Yeah, I, I, think I don't want to take somebody right, to work hard work and tell you, you it's it's horrible when basically other people may disagree with me. I'm usually yeah, right I, though. It's I okay. think it's really important to be upfront about yeah. when you when you do yeah. hand off your books about what your expectations are and the way yeah. that both people are going to approach it. You know, because I I will tell people you know because I say I mean I get them from kind of contract 
people who I'll have to, you know, maybe I'm paying them fifty, a hundred, two hundred dollars to read it, you know, and I'll say, Look, I, I've been doing this a long time, I have a thick skin, I want every single negative thought you have, you know, even if it's a very personal idiosyncratic response that's fine. I, I will kind of ignore them as I see fit, but please do tell me every yeah. negative thought you have because I'm just trying to make the book as good as I can. You know, so yeah. because if I, I will get people who just send it back and they loved everything and like, oh, I wouldn't, you know, maybe this is kind of a personal thing. Like, I, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything. And, you know, for me, just the way I have my process set up, that doesn't do a lot for me, you know, so I would that much doesn't really prefer, help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would much prefer to hear all the, the bad stuff and just, take it on myself and and weather through it you know and take my take my lumps so um but i think i do think it's really important at that front you know when you're handing it off to say hey look you know this is kind of what i'm looking for and you know when you're reading a book for a friend you know i think you kind of have a sense do they need your sort of support and your kind of constructive criticism or are they the kind of person that like me at this point and where they they kind of they're ready for any of it you know so i think it's important for both people to understand where the other person's coming from and, and Before some, you know, I forget, somebody... Monday, um, Monday I'm going to be interviewing, we hope, Pastor Michael Jones, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Christians. On the 24th, Lee Matthew Goldberg will be here with Orange City. Oh, God, if you haven't read it, read it. It's scary. On the 29th, uh, the author of The Madness of Q. And on April 5th, to start April, Dr. Charles Tolstoy, who had a lot to do with Rayathon and Learjet, he wrote a book about... Um, 34 blunders of an American history, how they could have been avoided, including starting with 9-11. Yeah, kind of interesting. Okay, so are we headed for a different era of plot lines or um, in settings? And how do you you create, in this, you know, time, how do you create a a conflict or a plot that people are going to want to read and just say, oh, God, not another one, I'm going to (laughs) cry? That's why authors need imaginations. I mean, yeah, I know. I don't you come have up with any. an idea. I mean, the, the I'm writing a play right now. Um, really? That that yeah, that focuses on the old game show. What's my line? And oh, put I love that somebody program. from this and put somebody from this time in that in that game show with all their knowledge. Hmm. So um, and just to see how it would play in front of an audience, I would like to at some point get it staged when everything, when everything, you know, um, isn't COVID-y. Um, but that's what I'm doing right now. So it's just a matter of having imagination and being able to translate what's in your head onto the page or the script or whatever. As long as you can do that, you know, writers will still write. And will it change plot lines? Probably a little, but... <laughs> Uh, only in the sense that our world has probably permanently changed a little. I, I, yeah. I just want to say that's a really interesting idea. <laughs> I'm just listening mm. to that. I was like, wow, that sounds very cool. You know, So are you going to have some of the real people in there, like uh, uh, Bennett Cerf and yes. Dorothy Gilgamesh? Oh, wow, gonna, John Daly? I'm going to use them as, yeah, I'm going to use them, and I'm going to use his cadence and all of that. Um, and... The end of it is essentially my main character is somebody who has cerebral palsy who in the mm. 50s would have been in a home. So the people in the 50s would not have any real concept of what it is to live my life these days. And so mm. it's sort of how 
how would they react, how do I react to the change in time. Because when you watch those old shows, it looks like, oh, my gosh, what an idyllic time. Yeah. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. What an idyllic time if you were a white man who was able-bodied. Otherwise, right. not an idyllic time. So, you know, I can, I, um, I'm probably going to use Groucho Marx as the guest panelist, too, because Groucho mm. is really funny on that, his episode. Yeah, so. yeah. Wow, wow. That's, that, that's fascinating, yeah. That is it'll, be interesting like to, it'll be interesting to cast that for a play, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know who, I don't know who we're going to get, but I'm sure people will want to play it. I mean, I just know actors around here will want to play it. So. There's only I'm one guy show, Max. My father used to watch him. And then he loved, uh, he my father hilarious. loved Ed Sullivan because he had a friend that was big in, in uh, Sam Goody's or whatever. So he said that if you're really good, I'll get you take to, you know, get you to go to a television show. Actually, I took a class, one of my classes when I first started teaching, to watch Richard Dawson in Family Feud. That's how good this class was. Oh, wow. As a matter of fact, they were so good that when we went to the United Nations, they invited them into the General Assembly meeting, and we watched the Secretary General. Yeah, I got to do a lot, just because they knew better than to mess with the girl that's short and little (laughs) and tough. Yeah, they they didn't, yeah. It's it's amazing. And my students are on Facebook, and they remind me just how wonderful I still am, I think, in, in, in the long run. But... Before I forget, where am I here? My questions. Okay. The other thing is that I've been getting a lot of books that, and it drives me crazy, that before and after. Or they keep going back and back and forth in timelines, and it drives me crazy. Although I just finished uh, Tess Garrington and Gary Braver, who are going to be on June 29th, for uh, Choose Me. The book is fantastic. But she goes back and forth to this character, but she's dealing with Greek mythology and how it relates to the main character that gets killed. So why do people write so many things? I'm telling you, every single book inside is is a timeline. And the other thing I'm finding is that they take bartenders or they take restaurant owners or hotel owners, and they're making it the main character of the book to do detective works. And that's enough to, to take. Why are you doing that? Why do people do that? They're doing a lot of Jessica Fletcher kind of things. Well, you know, Rockford kind because of things. Because they wanna because they're hoping it'll be a series. <laughs> Flat it doesn't out. work that way. It doesn't I know, it doesn't but, it doesn't exactly work but that that's way. That's what no. people are hoping when they write those first books. If they're if they write them that way, that's what they're hoping for. Well, is Claire gonna have a, a love interest? I gotta know that. <laughs> oh, you're back to oh, uh, Claire Carlson, my character. Well, yeah, writing a series is uh, good and bad because on the yeah. one hand, you've got the character and you've got her history, and you don't have to m- make up a lot of that. But yeah, well, Claire, uh, Claire uh, had a few boyfriends in much. the first few books, and uh, yeah. and uh, in this one, uh, she, uh, someone in one of the reviews said, you know, she tones down her personal life a little bit, uh, but there's still men in her life. Uh, Basically, my character is a terrific journalist whose personal life is pretty much a train wreck. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I just find, I just, number one, I've known people like that, men and women. And number two, I find that makes, it's fun to write about a character like that. So that's, uh, they, yes, there will be romances, uh, but they may not be happily ever after. Because if they were happily ever after, then who'd want to keep <laughs> reading her, you know? <laughs> I would be bored to tears. Do you guys do, before I forget, 
Uh, do you do um, Zoom book clubs and stuff? Like I said, I got a call last night at 10 o'clock from my cousin, and I haven't spoken to her in like a year and a half or two years, and I got scared. And she called to tell me that Alan Zendransky thought I was wonderful because her book club did a Zoom with him. He's, right. he's amazing. He read the, wrote The Interpreter and a whole bunch of other books. So if anybody does book clubs, I will put you in touch with my two cousins. And if somebody I, asked me to do it, a book club for my book, I would do it. Yeah, <laughs> tell, tell your cousin. Tell your cousin. I'd love to be a. I'd love to be a, yeah. a Zoom guest. So you would do it. Sure. I will. I will. I will email her and bother her. Right. It was just. The, I mean, it got so scared. It was ten o'clock at night, and I go like, "What? Why are you calling me?" And she said, "Because I'm so proud of you." I go, "Really?" <laughs> I was, well, my mother's side of the family, I don't get to speak to them at all. I was so happy and so amazing. And her parents, when my mom was sick in California, were the only ones that came out there to save me from myself. So I was just so touched that she called me at 10 o'clock at night to tell me that I that somebody actually thinks I know what I'm doing, which is really well, nice. There's also there's also people who are doing kind of their own you know shows on whatever, YouTube yeah. or live and things. And I know Charles... Uh, I I was a guest on one of Charles Charles Salzberg, you know, who obviously you know, and yeah. he's he's done some group discussions. I was on with him. Uh, there's a few other people that uh, you know they get a few authors and they'll do a, like a YouTube. And uh, I like most of you, I'm sure. I always say yes. Why not? I'm happy to do it. Of course, it might be a sale or two. And anybody wants a sale or two? I mean, we're, I mean, we're authors. So why not? <laughs> okay, so before before I end, what's next for everybody? And when am I getting it? And Jeff, my pile's getting big, so when are you sending me uh, the, the new one? Probably, let's see, so this is March. I will have, I will probably have print copies of the Begonia Killer uh, mid-April, so I should have it to you maybe like third week of April. And as I said, it's on the same length order as Dear Durwood, so it's it's on, on the slim side. Just, remo- yeah, just remind me that I'm getting it because, like I said, people like my books. The minute they see my name on the table, it's, it disappears. <laughs> and this, well, this, one was, this one, I feel so bad for Jean. The book was on the table for three weeks. I didn't know it was mine. It was on the wrong table. You're not allowed to bring books upstairs anymore. It, there's, a, there's a mail table downstairs. And, Dick, when am I getting the one? You're down for June 2nd, Wait, I think. So you've, got, you've, already got the next, uh, you've already got the next Claire Carlson Beyond the Headlines. I know you have that. And uh, that, that's coming out in May. And uh, yeah, that's that. Claire, Claire number four. And then there'll be a Dana. So I write also under the name Dana Perry for people that don't know. And uh, there will be a new Dana Perry book out in June. Um, and that's going to be a different character. Uh, it's going to be a, uh, a, a homicide detective named Abby Pierce who uh, was in New York and returned to her home of oh, nice. Martha's Vineyard. And so she's going to be solving crimes on a little island. And uh, that'll be out in uh, June. And uh, uh, it's called uh, Her Ocean Grave. So I've got two books, May and June. You'll, you got one, and you'll, you're on the list for the uh, other one when it comes out. As, as, as soon as and I I'm get it, the yeah. Play, but, and I'm writing the play, but uh, I'll have another book out soon. I'll let you know when that is, Fran. I'll I'll have you read it before anybody else does, so don't feel bad. <laughs> That's good because otherwise um, I get I get I get I get in so much trouble doing this. I mean, certain yeah, no, authors when you I'll do sure it, you or it. Charles does it, or somebody else does it. I go the other day. I go like, why did I do that? I didn't even know what I was doing. I go like, oh, that looks interesting. Okay, we so we'll send it to you. I've been getting requests for people that I don't even know who they are. And the scary part is, I don't know how they find me. 
I mean, I have no idea. They said I, I well, somebody read one of my um, found me on the, uh, the yellow pages of book reviewers, and I just read his book. Wow! It's called The Scavengers, and he sent it from Ireland. And I felt so bad, so I read it in an hour and a half. It was scary. It's a YA book. And it was really pretty good. And he blessed me for reading it, so I felt kind of good. You but read anyway, very before, fast. You read very fast. I, I try. An hour and a half for any book? I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, if it's only less than 200 pages, it doesn't take me that long. But now, after today, I'm going to take my sweet time. <laughs> so where, did, where yeah. can we find out everybody about everybody? We have about three more minutes. Dick, where can we find out all about your stuff? Uh, well, Jared? the best place is the website, www.rgbelsky.com. And, Derek, and yeah, my website is my name. It's Oh, what's next is the play, and uh, where you can find out about me is I'm on uh, Twitter at DWrites98053, um, and, uh, and I'm on Goodreads, so come and friend me at Goodreads and uh, put What Death Taught Terrence, my book, on your uh, TBR. That's true. Yeah, That's good. Jeff, yeah, and Jeff, got, what, got, what's next for you? Well, so I've got the third book in my Third Chance Enterprises series coming out called The Begonia Killer, which is a little bit of a cozy mystery style, um, coming out on June 1st. And my website is www.jeffbondbooks.com. Um, and um, you can look me up on Facebook or Twitter as well and, and get news there. Well, my, my book is coming out whenever it comes out. I don't know when. <laughs> and like I said, it's called Population Zero. A world without people. They change it. They change it to stories about the world's end. But I like a world without people. Um, it's weird. It's a Twilight Zone. Vincent Zandri thought it was really good. Lee thought it was really good. I don't know what anybody's going to think about it. But I'm finding that you know the blog tours with Cheryl really work. But there are one or two people that review my books every single time and give me kind of crappy reviews, or they'll say I don't understand oh. what you wrote. Uh, and I go like, that's mm. okay because I don't understand why you read it. So anyway, <laughs> everybody yeah, have some... have a great day. Thank you so much. This is been right. fun. Thanks, Fran. I know that Thank I know you that we're you doing another one in May, Dick. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You're in with Alan Jacobson, and that's a twelve o'clock one. And I don't remember well, what we're talking about. Well, and also we're doing we're doing a one on one uh, one on one with me for the new book too in May, right? Yes, May fourth. I got you. Great. For that. Okay, so I'll be on. I'll be on. Uh, I'll be talking to you a lot, friend. Feel better. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank definitely. you, everybody. And I'll be here whenever you day. want, friend. So and before I, before I end, like I say on every show, just one small ask: when you go outside, please wear a mask, because maybe someday we'll stop this pandemic, and it'll take a hike somewhere else. Everybody, have a great day, and bye. Thanks, friend. Bye, bye. Thank you, friend. Bye. Goodbye, everybody.